by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope to people that were caught in the devastation of addiction or overrun by emotions in this series. Learn how to identify feelings, what motivates actions, and find biblically-based solutions to manage emotions. Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom 15 years ago from their out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now, here's Rich and Susan with Solutions for Freedom. For those you love. Susan, as we continue our series on emotions, what's up for today? Today we're going to talk about anger and what is actually happening to, happening to us when we get angry. Cool. I guess. <laughs> Susan, uh, would you please open today's program with a word of prayer? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you very much for all that you do for us in our lives. We um, are grateful for the emotions that we have, and, and not only that, but um, for the wisdom and the restraint that you give us to um, manage our emotions. And we just pray that you will be with us during this program. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, in the book of Ephesians, it says, uh, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Yes. You know, Throughout our marriage, Susan and I have really tried to stick to this biblical advice. In fact, we never go to bed angry at each other. Ever. Ever. Of course, this means that sometimes we don't go to bed for weeks at a time. I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, You could probably count the times when we've gone to bed angry on one hand. We we are very blessed, uh, and usually when... One of us might go to bed angry. It was probably my fault anyway. So good. I got the nod of, <laughs> I got the nod of approval there. Uh, but speaking about losing sleep, uh, how come when a smoke alarm goes off, it always goes off at exactly 1.30 in the morning? Is that the time? That's the time they decide to start chirping. Chirp, yeah. you know, the little noise. I do. And they don't go off right before bed and they don't go off at 4:30 in the morning when you wake up they go off at 1:30 right or in, in the, the afternoon no never in the afternoon they start chirping at 1:30 in the morning anyway and it's always uh, the one that's at the the very highest pitch of the ceiling right at the vaulted ceiling way up there right and uh so it wasn't long ago i don't know six months ago or so that uh this is what happened um 1:30 in the morning chirp chirp and what do you got to do well, okay, you get up and you go out and, uh, you know, it's cold and you go outside and to get the ladder, bring it in, go in the uh, pantry, get the batteries and climb up the ladder and unscrew the smoke alarm and pull the battery out and put it back up on there and climb back down the ladder and take the ladder back out. The big ladder. The big ladder. Yes. Because <laughs> it's up in the vaulted ceiling, yes. of course. And take it back out and uh, come back in and hop in bed, you know, and chirp, it goes off again. And so you get up, and of course you're climbing up and down this aluminum ladder barefooted, and so this is waking you up big time. So you know, at the whole time you're doing all this, the lights are on, you're saying, I'm never going to be able to go back to sleep. So things are starting to uh, boil a little bit, and so you go back out and you get the ladder and you go 
bring it back in, climb up the ladder, unscrew the smoke alarm, pull it down, walk over to the back door, and throw the smoke alarm as far as you can. That's the logical thing to do. And it was, that's what I did because I was really frustrated. But um, So as we talk about anger today, we're going to talk about what drives it, what, what are the causes. Um, and then when you can identify that, it will, it will be helpful as we move along and then we find a biblical solution to our anger problems. Right. Anger refers to the complex series of emotions that causes you to do causes you to want to do something to your environment that's not to your liking. Let's define anger as those experiences that causes someone to want to lash out. Yeah, you know like, you know that pencil doesn't work and so you snap it in half or you know whatever wow. <laughs> that lousy pencil you know you know but people, i think some people get angry <laughs> over other things <laughs> people that are angry find that things aren't the way they should be and in their anger they're attempting to get rid of it and one of the big problems of course is other people mm-hmm. but it's not right to lash out and punch them in the face so what we do is what is acceptable and that is to criticize them to put them down what you know that's a verbal way of lashing out so what we look at today is what precipitates anger and and it, this is uh as i look at it this is what i see either something is going on around you or to you that you don't want to happen and we would identify that as hurt mm-hmm. or there's something that you want and you're not getting it and we identify that as frustration. And so in both, in anger, you usually get both of these cases happen. So in, for instance, in the smoke alarm story, okay, what was going, what was I getting that I didn't want? The noise. The noise. Right. Okay. And what was it that I wasn't getting that I wanted? You wanted sleep. I wanted sleep, you see. And so that's what precipitated this anger and the second go around. And it, frustration of not being able to make it right. Not to be able to make it. And so I just wanted to eliminate it. Right. I just wanted and it. You did. I, I, got, I did. I got rid of it and we dealt with it the next yes. day. Okay. I found it out in the so, field. So, but you know, the world's made up of two kinds of people. At least that, that's kind of the way I categorize them. And that's happy people or helpful people and angry people. And, you know, we, sometimes we call them haters. So you got helpers or haters. And uh, so as, well, the question is, can a a helpful person get angry, though? Of course. So a helpful person doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be a hater. No. A helpful person can get angry. Yes. Okay. Well, let's look in the book of Numbers then, and and let's see if this is true. Okay. Numbers 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition against Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. You could say they murmured. Uh, Christians don't murmur, do they? They don't? They don't, do they? Do they yeah. murmur about sometimes about the smallest of things, don't they? I we? think so. I yeah. think we do. I think and, we have that bad habit of doing that. And see, who were they quarreling against? Who were they? Who was their... Who are they murmuring against? Well, do you mean at that moment or ultimately? Well, at that moment. They they quarreled with Moses, didn't they? Yeah. So Numbers 24 says, Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines, or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Question. Who brought them out of Egypt? God did, right? Right. But what are they saying to, to They're Moses? They're blaming Moses. Why did you bring us right. up? Okay. So Numbers 26, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take thy staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Okay. First off, what did we say about anger? Anger refers to the complex series of emotions that causes you to want to do something to your environment that's not to your liking. So we define anger as those experiences that causes someone to want to lash out. Mm -hmm. So what did Moses do after he said, must we? But who was going to bring the water from the rock? God. But what did Moses say? Must we. Listen, you rebels, must we. So what does Moses do now? He's very angry. So in Numbers 20, verse 11, what happens? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Wow, that seems like a pretty harsh punishment just for striking a rock. What precipitates anger? Either something is happening to you that you don't want to happen, or there's something that you want and you're not getting at it. What was going on around Moses that he did not want? Well, he didn't want to hear the people complaining. He was wearied from that continual murmuring and and, and the rebellion of the people. And in this, he lost sight of God. He lost sight of his mission. His focus now was on these people. Whenever he said, listen, you rebels, And that's not what God had told him. God said, go over and speak to the rock. See, Moses and Aaron had felt themselves hurt, losing sight of the fact that the murmuring of the people was not against them, but against God. Right. So what did... So he was taking personal offense to what they were about, what they were saying. Exactly. Now, what did Moses and Aaron want that they weren't getting? When they angrily cried, must we fetch you water out of this rock? They put themselves in God's place as if they were responsible for getting the water out of the rock. So what were they not getting? They weren't getting respect. Now, why would they need respect if they were doing God's will? See, have you ever made yourself over-responsible? In other words, have you ever taken on way too much and totally left God out of the picture? Because this was a big undertaking for Moses and Aaron. And to do this on their own was too much, Mm -hmm. way too much. Right. And when they took this responsibility and took it to heart that God was no longer involved, it caused big problems. And when we take on a responsibility and leave God out out of the picture, then when things don't go exactly the way we want them and people don't realize everything that we're going through for them, and all the time and the effort that we're expending on them, we get irritated, and then we get set up to be hurt. What precipitates anger? 
Either something is going on around you that you don't want to happen, or there is something that you want and you're not getting it. So what did God ask Moses to do? He asked Moses to speak. But what did Moses do? He struck the rock. His actions lied about God. Moses was making his surroundings after his own image and not God's. So what do you mean his actions lied about God? God said, speak to the, speak to the rock. God was trying to do something here. And God said, speak to the rock. God, you know, sometimes God will speak to us at different times with different volumes in different manners. Remember Mount Sinai? The children of Israel would not settle down, would not listen. They were dancing around a calf. They were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And what did he do? He spoke with thunder and lightning from Mount Sinai. To do what? To get their attention. You know when you have a child that you can't simply, you can't get their attention? You got to raise your voice a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. But then, what did he do? What was Jesus' last-ditch effort when he was trying to get the attention of the Pharisees? And they threw that woman... In adultery down and he knew that if he stood there and yelled at them they would have they would have drug him off so what does he do he bends down and he writes something in the dust it's something that we think is probably some of their sins or something they've been guilty of and, and, that, and this wasn't an, a permanent record it wasn't like the ten commandments it was something that could 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 be blown, blown away. away by the wind right see so that was his effort to reach the Pharisees however God's effort at Mount Sinai to get their attention was a whole lot different mm -hmm. you see so at this point here god says look it they're ready for us to speak for you to speak to that rock i want them to see my gentle side i want them to hear my still small voice i want them to be wondered and amazed mm -hmm. at this at, at what happens and what happens and how god can provide for them right and so, but what happened was moses was angry he had gotten fed up and that's right and so he had been totally fed up, and he robbed God of an opportunity to do something wonderful. Moses was their deliverer. He was God's representative. And when God asked Moses to speak to the rock, it was his effort to win some of those Hebrews that were on the fence. Remember when Moses came down from the mount, his face actually glowed? He was God's spokesperson. They looked to him to see how God was and who God was. And so they had, so if Moses was angry, they thought God was angry. The people were tired and thirsty, and God wanted to provide for them in a loving manner, regardless of their murmuring. The timing was perfect for God's goodness to be revealed. But Moses let his emotions get the best of him. This is what made his sin such a crime what makes God angry when people are hurt when people get hurt see God is concerned about people he's concerned about their well-being does God like to see any of his creation hurt no and so you know what that's interesting I just want to make the point that when um, so we have to be real careful the way that we act towards people as well because we're we're as Christians we're standing in that place not like Moses but we give an example By all of means. what God is like. People So if so if we're like being angry on the road and and then we pull into a church there people are going to think wow that that person is somewhat not so much a Christian that just cut me off and By all means. Their horn at me. By all means. 
Um, there was a, you know, and people watch you. They're constantly watching you. I, I remember I had a, a guy that worked for us who had, uh, who had gone through a tragedy, a terrible, terrible tragedy, and I won't say what that tragedy was, but he called me up um, on a Saturday morning crying his eyes out, and then he said, Mr. Kallenberg, I know you're a man of God. Would you please pray for me in this situation? And I had never spoke to him about God or anything about, but people watch Mm -hmm. what you do and how you carry yourself. And they're looking to see God in you. And God knew this about Moses and Moses knew this, but what happened was he left God out of the picture and tried to make his surroundings after his own image. He was angry and he was going to show them. How can we avoid going through what Moses went through? And at one word, it's trust, trust. See, in the end, Moses left God out of the picture when he said, listen, you rebels. His his motive at this point in time when his motions got the best of him was not to show how good God was. And here's where the problem is. Some of us are obedient. Some of us are good Christians, but we're good Christians to prove how good we can be instead of to show how good God is. If Moses' concern would have been God's reputation... And if he would have trusted God and spoke to the rock, God could have produced an entirely different outcome. The true Christian doesn't have to worry about making himself look good. All he needs to do is think about God and how he's making God look to people. And if he makes God look good, when we make God look good, he will make us look good, guaranteed. We don't have to worry about it. Right. So the question is, who are we? Are we helpers or are we haters? Are our actions telling the truth about God or are we lying about God? Because there's a whole world out there that wants to know the truth about God and our actions are going to lead people one way or another. And as long as we try to make our surroundings after our own image— after what we think is right, then we are doomed. But if we can keep our eyes on Christ, trust in him, and honor him in all of our thoughts and actions, he will honor us. You know, there's a saying, God doesn't demand a sanctified life from you. He offers it. Do you accept his offer? See, you can by trusting him. Do you know any angry Christians? I know a couple. <laughs> a couple angry Christians. Are you familiar with the term legalism? Yes. You know, the definition of a legalist is a person that's preoccupied with his own performance. Mm-hmm. But the definition of a man of faith, he's preoccupied with God's goodness. Two, See, there's a difference. Right, two totally different mindsets. Yeah, the legalist, he kneels down at night and he looks up at the Ten Commandments on the wall and he says, and he looks and he says, well, I didn't kill today and I didn't uh, steal today and it's been a pretty good day. I didn't, uh, I didn't cover my neighbor's wife and I'm measuring up pretty good. And he's concerned about his own performance, you see. And uh, that's dangerous because we, we don't want to, we're not... <laughs> God saved us and heals us so that we can give him glory. We don't, we're not obedient to, and then God saves us because we're obedient. Right. It doesn't work that way. In the book of Matthew, Jesus asked a question. In fact, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, he asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, these are the two great commandments. Break them down. The first four of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with God. And the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with your fellow man. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus says, love God, keep the first four, and love your fellow man, keep the last six. Mm -hmm. But the difference is, you see, in the Old Testament, those laws were written on stone, Mm -hmm. and the children of Israel's heart were so hard that they would not allow God to write that law on their hearts. Mm -hmm. It's the same law in the New Testament, but now it's in a different location. It's not on the tables of stone. Mm -hmm. It's written on the heart. What does that mean, the law is written on the heart? That means that these people, these Christians, have had their eyes on Jesus so much that they have been transformed, Mm -hmm. that that law is a part of them. Mm -hmm. They would in no way ever even imagine hating someone. They would in no way ever imagine stealing something. It's like a natural law, just like gravity is natural. It it becomes totally natural. And then he says in Hebrews, I will write my laws on their hearts and in their minds. You know, there's 144,000 that are standing. They have the Father's name written in their foreheads. Why? It's where you think. That inch behind your forehead there is where you make your moral decisions. And God says, I'm going to write that law there. You won't even want to covet your neighbor's wife. So it gets to the point where we don't even have to think about doing right or wrong. We do the right thing because it is the right thing and it's our natural exactly. it's our natural way. I, do you ever, when, when was the last time you wanted to do methamphetamine? It's been a very, very long time. It's way back in the rear right. view mirror. You don't even think about it. You don't even think about right. wanting to smoke anymore. Right. You don't think about these things. God's removed them. He's written that part of his law on your heart, right. you see? And it becomes a part of you. It becomes uh, who so you it's are. So like, it's not like we become robots. It just no. becomes we we, ha- we have freedom to choose. We exactly do. Just like this program that says, we have freedom to choose the better way. And we've learned, you know, God has helped to wipe that slate clean and to help us to, to have a new mind. Exactly. So submission to God's will, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and allowing him to write that law in our hearts. And being willing to be humble to say, you know what, I don't, I don't know always, I I can be wrong. And so God help me to see where I'm wrong. Because it is all about trust. Right. Help me to turn from self and to turn towards you. Exactly. Because how many times in our lives do we want to do what Moses does? Because see, did Moses probably have every excuse in the world to let him have it? Yes. They were murmuring the whole time out. I mean, they danced around a calf. They didn't like the manna. They didn't, you know. No and matter, he, he couldn't make them happy for anything. He couldn't make them happy if he tried. And so he let him have it. You know, and I tell you what, when I sin the most, nine times out of ten is when I'm right or justified in doing something. But God is interested in people. He did not want to let them have it right then. And that's what frustrated. He said, Moses, you failed to... You misrepresented who I am to the people. You failed to glorify me as the Holy One, because that's not what I wanted to show them right then. And so when we get angry, we have to say to ourselves, is this what God wants me to show someone about about me, you know? Right. And uh, so... As we, as we close and as we wrap up today, we want you to keep in mind the biblical solutions 
for our emotional problems is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's to submit to his will under all conditions and trust him, Mm -hmm. knowing that he has a better way for us because he has a better way and a better life. And if you look back on your life, you can see how God has led you in the past. Look back at your Red Sea experience. He's brought you through the Red Sea at one point in time in your life. I know he has. So don't doubt that he's not going to continue in caring for you as you wander in the wilderness right, on your his, way to the promised land. Because his word says, he who has begun a good work will continue. Will perform it. That's and right. that's what his word said. He said that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And these, I mean, he's not going to, He, if I have an anger problem, he's not going to cure me from, from my desire to use meth and my desire to smoke and my desire to swear. That's he's right. not going to cure me from that and not anything else. So as we close today, we'd like you to keep in mind that there's a difference between having emotions and your emotions having you, and that you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love them? Can I feel his pain and his need? Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity, overrun with the devastation of addiction and unmanaged emotions. Rich and Susan are living testimonials, and they've created this seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction and unmanaged emotions, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to www.justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.